Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with you today with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. And I'm really excited for this conversation we're gonna be having today with Nicholas Moore. Nick's extraordinary journey has led him to become an expert and leader in the areas of vulnerability, self-love, and compassion. Along with sharing pieces of his incredibly vulnerable story, Nick shares his insights for overcoming the inner critic, letting go of the opinions of others, and how to gracefully ride the ever-changing waves of life. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Adriana. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, yes. We had a really fascinating conversation earlier about um, your life's experience and how your journey really took an unexpected turn a while back. So I'd love for our audience to hear a little bit more about you and how you've ended up where you are now with your book and everything, your your message you're trying to get out there. Sure. Thanks for asking. So I think the best place to start is really about eight years ago when my life totally blew up. Um, everything that I grew up learning it just everything felt like a lie um and just to warn the listeners um there is some heavy subjects that will be talked about um but about eight years ago i ended up calling cps on my dad for what i believe that he molested my niece and i also believe it happened to my sister growing up and um that really sent me down a road of depression um I was upset with God or the universe, whatever you want to call it. Like, why are we down here just to continue to suffer? What is, why would a good God, a good universe allow such terrible things to exist? And the conclusion that I came to, um, through some alternative, um, medicines and, um, modalities is that we have to have the dark in order to have the light. My dad has to be who he is for me to be who I am. Uh, When I first came to that conclusion, I didn't know that I was going to have this powerful poetry to share with people. I didn't know that I was going to be publishing this book. And I didn't know that I would be coined as the vulnerability guy at some point. Um, But when, you know, when I first had that realization, I first, I guess, kind of woke up that, hey, I'm here for a reason. I've got a purpose and I didn't really know what that was. But what really pushed me into a whole new me was when I really began to embrace my vulnerability. Um, And it all started with coming to terms with something that happened when I was 16. Uh, There was something that happened that I carried a lot of shame and guilt about for a long time. And until I was able to actually confront that, I, I was just weighed down and I, I couldn't actually express all of who I am and I wouldn't be who I am today if I wasn't able to do that. And just to warn the listeners again, here's another heavy thing I'm about to express, but that instance when I was 16, I was with my girlfriend. We'd been together for over a year. You know, we thought we were in love, you know, like we do in high school and, um, the first time that we had sex, it was not fully consensual. Um, you'll read in my book exactly how it happened. It was a very quick thing. Um, I took her silence as consent after she said, stop. Um, and you know, immediately right after it happened, right after my satisfactory release, it was a very quick thing. She began to cry and I started bawling as well. I mean, it was something that I've had so much shame and guilt about. I felt absolutely terrible. This is someone that I loved and I would, and I just did something that I thought I wasn't capable of doing. And I believe that all of us, at least most of us, have done something throughout our lives that we don't think, we didn't think that we were capable of doing. 
um, especially when love and sex and things like that get in the mix. And it's a really confusing dynamic that we all enter. And as a boy, you know, growing up a male um, in the South, a very patriarchal society, you know, it was important to me. I didn't want to be the last of my friends to lose his virginity. And I wanted to prove that I was a man. All these, these negative thoughts that really led me to do some really terrible things. Um, but that shame and guilt, uh, I don't believe that shame and guilt are healthy for us to hold on to. But the only way that we can let go of that shame and guilt in a healthy way is to actually confront the things that we have shame or guilt about. Because I believe, Adriana, that if we, let's say that I never confronted that and I was like, okay, I don't have any shame or I'm just letting go of all the shame and guilt and I'm just going to act like it never happened. Just continue to shove it down, shove it down, shove it down. My personal belief is that something similar to that experience will repeat itself, whether it be in this lifetime or the next lifetime, because we haven't actually healed it. Um, letting go of shame and guilt is, is very important and powerful. But if you aren't able to actually reflect and be honest about the mistakes that you've made or people that you've hurt, then you're really doing yourself a disservice. And it's it's what I believe a lot of people call spiritual bypassing. Um, if we're not able to actually really be honest with ourselves and the world, then we're holding ourselves back. And once I was able to confront that, and actually the first time I did it, I posted on Facebook, the first time I had sex was not fully consensual. Vulnerability equals power ability. And that vulnerability equals power ability is now the subtitle to my book. And that's really been the theme of my entire life. Um, that one instance when I'm 16, me confronting that, once I was able to be truthful about that, and when people called me a rapist online, and I was, I'm fine with that. I'm, you can call me whatever you'd like. I believe that we will be defined by our past unless we are able to actually admit wrongdoings and try to learn and try to, you know, confront that and actually move on. Um, but letting go of that judgment of others, it, it starts with letting go of the judgment of yourself. Um, that's where the self-love and the self-forgiveness comes in. And self-love is a big you know, key term that's been coming up a lot in the recent years. But I think that's something a lot of us don't understand is the way we can truly love ourselves is first we really have to dig into that self-forgiveness. And that takes a lot of courage to confront things that maybe are uncomfortable. Um, so there's lots of very vulnerable stories within my book, but it really started with that one. And um, when I was able to let that go, it was just... And if I can talk about that, I can talk about anything. And Adriana, the amount of love and connection that I've had in my life since I opened up and was able to have these conversations, it, it just continues to grow. Um, the connections that I have, I don't have surface level connections because when I'm getting to know people, they're really getting to see the real me because I'm not wearing any masks. A lot of us are putting on these masks because we we think that that's the way that people are going to like us. I need to be this way or do this, or I can't let anyone see the ugly side of me or the, these embarrassing sides to me because they won't understand. And we're all human. We all have it. The more open and honest we are about these things, the deeper we can actually connect with one another. Wow. I mean so much I want to ask you about and comment on. And just first to say, it takes such a tremendous amount of courage to be able to speak so openly and vulnerably about experiences that you're right. Most people would hide away, pretend never happened. Um, but the problem with that, like you said, is that the shame that comes from the, you still know what happened, you you know, and whoever else was involved knows what happened. And so that shame, the guilt will like eat you up. It becomes toxic. And 
I work with a lot of people, you know, with addictions and I've worked with people on both sides of that particular dynamic. And, um, when you, when you can't talk about it, when you push it away, when you're so afraid that people are going to judge you for what happened on either side, people are just as, you know, fearful of saying, Hey, sexual abuse happened to me, right? Either, either end of that equation. And, um, I guess I want to look a little bit more deeply at that toxicity. Like for you, can you say a little bit more about what happened when you put on the mask? You know, you, you talked to, to me earlier about, you know, you were the all American guy, right. And, um, and very traditional in the very traditional male, like you said, patriarchal kind of culture. Like, how did you, how did you deal with that? You know, before you came to the realizations and I want to talk about how you got there as well, but yeah. What was sure. That and I think it's very typical of, uh, you know, I can only speak from a male perspective. I can't speak from the female perspective, but you know, we focus on, all right, in order to be a man, I need to prove that I am not scared of anything. You know, I have this, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, if there's a fight or something, I can, I can be a tough guy or, Hey, I'm, I have the physical attribute. I'm not scared of anything. So I, I've got that mask on and then it's all right. I need to prove my dominance over women. You know, the more women that I sleep with or just show that, Hey, women like me and I'm, I've always got a woman by my side or, and then it's all right in the business world, making money. Those three, in my opinion, very toxic masculine traits that we associate with proving our malehood to our manhood to other men is a way that we can mask a lot because it is so prevalent in all of society that it's just, it's just what is and guys aren't having conversations about things that they have shame or guilt about that they feel bad about. Um, so I can just give an example of, you know, there was a guy that I met a few months ago and we just happened to be sitting down um, together and we got start talking and I start telling him about my book and he op because I'm open and vulnerable, it gives other people the green light to, to feel more comfortable to open up to you. It's like, Oh my God, this person's human. This person just told me something really heavy that they went through or they did that they had shame or guilt about. Wow. Maybe I can actually talk to them. And he told me about something when he was in college and how it was, you know, did he rape her? You know, was it date rape or, you know, he didn't, you know, cause she maybe, I don't even know if she was fully asleep or whatever it might've been, but, and we didn't get into the details about it, but just his ability to talk to me about that, that one little conversation was an incredibly great way to start his healing process. Just opening up to one person about it and just, it, it takes a weight off your shoulders and you're like, oh man, like I don't have to act like I'm not scared of anything. I don't have to act like, you know, women are just another, you know, I, it's just another asset or um, another mountain to climb that I've proved that, you know, another notch in my belt or whatever it may be. Um, but there's so many ways that, that we mask the true self and the most beautiful you that exists is the one that's underneath all the mask. The one that does not need to impress anyone. Um, I believe wholeheartedly that the reason why people are so attracted to me and that people love being around me is that I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone. Um, when you truly stop caring about the opinions of others is when the opinions of others actually become a lot more positive. Um, it was something that Jim Carrey said. Jim Carrey is one of my favorite actors and um, he mentioned it when he was at the beginning of his career 
and maybe you've heard him say it, but right when he comes out, he's like, Hey, how are y'all doing? Oh, already. I already then like didn't even let the crowd answer to his, how you're doing because he didn't care. And as soon as he realized that the, the crowd responded better to him, not caring about their opinions, like that's just a little tiny key to really all of life. The less we try, the more we're trying to prove that I'm a, Hey, I'm a, I've got a lot of friends or I'm a, whatever it might be. The more we're trying to, to act like, or put on a show for anybody, the less we're actually being authentic and the less people are really going to have love for us. It's a very paradox or contradictory thing mm -hmm. because, um, yeah, we've been taught for so long and, the most difficult opinion to give up um, and the most powerful opinion to give up is typically our parents. It's not everyone, you know, everybody has a different story, but a lot of times as we grow up, we we're wanting to please our parents, you know, in whatever way that may be, just, they want us to be some whatever. And we want to make sure that we're in some way, making them happy. And I don't want to say that that's an all negative thing. We love our parents. We want them to feel good about what we're doing. But that if you're really truly following your authentic self, there's going to be a point where your parents aren't going to agree with what you're doing, most likely, or they're going to be like, you know, that's a big risk. Like you shouldn't do that. Or you just need to go get a stable job. Hey, study engineering because engineering, you know, get a trade job or whatever it may be. When you have something deep inside of you that you really want to explore that there's something else. Um, I personally am very fortunate and I say fortunate to have the family that I have, you know, it's a, very, very heavy story. And I wish that I did have a relationship with my family at this moment. Um, but I, I believe that it is a blessing in disguise because if I wasn't shoved out that, Hey, if, if I didn't find this out, you know, come to this conclusion about my dad, I mean, when you come to that conclusion and your, your whole family is on his side, it's like, of course, I, I didn't care who what anyone thought. As soon as I was able to let go of the opinion of my parents, it's like, man, I don't like who I can be whoever I want. And what I wanted to do was I, I wanted to help people. You know, I think that's within us all. We all have this innate desire to be of service to one another. And some of us that will be on a micro level that, you know, one-on-ones that, you know, not everybody needs to start a podcast and do things on a bigger level. It might just be, Hey, you have a relationship with one person that that one person that you're really making a big difference in their life. Um, so don't think that just because you're not doing something big in the world, it's not just as important as what Oprah's doing or, you know, anybody on a big level. If you're making a positive impact on one person, it's a beautiful thing. Yes, again, so many things to, to comment on. Um, you know, I think part of your message is that, you know, through vulnerability, through authenticity, we get freedom. And that so flies in the face of what our reality, you know, from the time we're little kids tells us, which is all about, especially in this day and age, I think with social media and everyone's got a filter on, right? And there's airbrushing, like you never get to see someone's authentic, but people are all made up, right? Like they have the mask on, um, our technology and social media and everything supports that. Um, we live in a, you know, plastic surgery reality. Um, just turn on certain TV channels and you'll see that. And it's just like, wow, you know, and, and, and I think you said it earlier when you were saying about the conversation you had with just a stranger that you met, how surface does it keep us when we're always just so focused on the appearance and looking good and being, you know, 
preoccupied with other people's judgments of us. Like it doesn't really allow us to have these deeper, true, intimate connections. And it's what we all truly desire. None of us just want surface level relationships. Now, when you meet somebody on the bus or at the bus stop, do you want to just jump in and have really deep conversations with every single person you meet? Of course not. Mm-hmm. Having a, a container or at least setting the stage, and I do want to put a disclaimer that if you are going to open up to someone and be vulnerable, it's very important that you're asking for consent and letting them know, hey, are you open to me sharing something very heavy? Mm-hmm. Um because all of us are, you don't know what somebody has going on. They might have just you know, lost their mom that morning or some, their dog just died or whatever it may be. And they not they just may not be in the space to be able to hold that space for you. Um, so it's not like every single conversation that you have is going to be just jumping into something really vulnerable and deep. But we all get opportunities to meet new people and have conversations. And even with some of our current friends and and people that we interact with, people at work, whatever it may be, those relationships are on one level and the way that they're, we, we all desire to have deeper relationships. We all desire to want to be loved and that desire to want to be loved is funny the way that this works and that's the reason why we wear the masks we're wearing the masks because we think that this is what people love people love you know that i look pretty that i whatever it may be talking about work talking about money talking about whatever i'm perfect right that i'm perfect some kind of way that I've decided is significant and meaningful, right? And, That's what it is. Yeah. And in the conversation, we're, we're just going back and forth talking about cool things that we do or we are or we, you know, trying to impress one another. Mm-hmm. And that back and forth, you know, sometimes it happens with one-upping and stories and, you know, it's just constantly. And it, you know, when there are people that are doing that, it's not because they're trying to discount the other person or trying to compare them. They, they are honestly, it's just a subconscious thing that, Hey, look at me. I, I'm valuable. I, I'm, I'm a good person. I want to be loved. I have these things to offer when we can just take all that off and not try to impress when we're in the mode of, I have nothing to prove to anyone and just see where the conversation goes and just it's more active listening and um you know i was talking to my friend you know it was just last night and he's been to rehab and he uses rehab as somewhat of a a, a way to try to impress like he's proud of that he went to rehab that he like made friends at rehab and it was you know all this when you're just kind of pushing aside the real meat of what that's about and why you were there and what's underneath it all, why you have this addiction, you know, it's just, instead of just, yeah, I I got that badge and I got that badge of honor and I'm wearing it proudly. Um, You know, it's, it's a lot of just diverting the conversation into something that we feel comfortable. That's easy to talk about. And the way we, get these really deep relationships and build a lot stronger bond, a lot build trust um, and build that authenticity is to dig more into the uncomfortability. Um, The way we grow is to step more into the uncomfortable. Um, I'm a big believer. Like facing the shadow. Sorry to interrupt, but that's what kept kept popping me is like this, this concept of, you know, the stuff that we're ashamed of, the stuff we don't, we're afraid for people to see because they might judge it. That's the shadow. We push it away. We shove it away. We put it in a closet and hope nobody ever looks in there. 
right? The skeletons in the closet yeah. and the, it, but it, it's, you're so right. It's in facing that shadow that we grow and and heal. We can't heal from any kind of painful or traumatic experience if we're not willing to be present with those feelings. Definitely. And some of us might have some things that they aren't ready to open up to anybody about. And that's okay. It's not like, okay, I listened to Adriana and Nick talk and they're telling me I just need to go open up to my friend about these things that I haven't even looked at in 20 years. Well, maybe before you open up to your friend about it, maybe just try to journal about it a little bit. And that can be a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, not everyone has the finances to be able to get a therapist. Therapist can be a really safe container to start opening up to these about these things. And of course they're paid not to judge. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us, you know, will talk to a therapist and be able to open up about a lot of things and be like, yeah, that felt good, but I still could never talk to my friends about this stuff because they wouldn't understand. They're not, they're going to think I'm weird. They're going to think I'm a bad person, whatever it might be. When it's the complete opposite, it's going to give them more permission to be open with you about their stuff, because I promise you, all of us have it. Um, I think that one of the reasons, at least, you know, from my high school childhood friends, all that, them initially reading my book, I think it was very eye opening because from an outside perspective, I was the guy, I was the really good athlete. I made great grades. I was a good looking guy. I had a pretty girlfriend. I had got a scholarship to go play football. You know, like from the outside looking in, like, man, that guy's got it all figured out. He's got it taken care of his life's easy, man. If I was just tall and good looking and athletic like him, life would be nothing. It's just simply not how life works. Um, when we're looking at things in that way and we're just comparing and we're wishing for something different, but there, I can't remember who said it, but if you're, if you're um, wanting someone else's life, it's cause you just don't understand. You don't truly know what that life is like because we all have this stuff. We all have struggles. If you're looking at somebody and you're thinking, man, or everybody just seems like they have it figured out. Why can't I just get it figured out? Okay. In Hawaii, I see this a lot. So everybody here, or most of the people here, they're on vacation. So they obviously have some sort of financial stability to be able to actually take time off from work and go on vacation. So yeah, maybe they have the financial part of their life maybe in okay terms at the moment. That doesn't mean that they just are always in this state, life goes in waves. So just because you're seeing, you know, somebody and it seems like they have everything figured out and even the multimillionaires that are driving the Teslas and, you know, at the beach every day, there's internal things that we have no idea that they have going on. And when you present yourself as some sort of standard and you think, okay, now I have this to live up to. And that's why many, um, and not all, you know, again, I'm generalizing a little bit, but really wealthy women, you know, they start getting old and then they start wanting to fix themselves. They don't, they don't want to get old to get the Botox, get the nose job, whatever it may be. It's because they're trying to hold up the standard of who they are presenting to the world that this is who I am. Mm -hmm. When the most powerful version of you is the one that's okay with showing all the, the ugly side and the, the tough side. And I think this is so, again, so valuable a conversation because um, especially when we look at this, you know, difficult issue of sexual abuse um, or whatever we're, we want to call it, you know, we tend to very much look at the victim side of things and, and the perpetrator, right? We call our abuser. 
is demonized as this, you know, terrible person. And how could they do like this terrible thing to an innocent person, this and that. It's very polarized how we see that dynamic. And it is much more nuanced than that. And there are a lot of variables that go into how these things unfold and occur. And so I guess I just wonder, you know, because the conventional perspective is that, and you yourself, I'm sure had that, you know, opinion when you were growing up and all of that. How did you personally come to terms with, wow, I guess people see me, you know, I am the perpetrator. I am in a sense, the abuser. How did you get past your own self judgments around that? So, and I'm going to bring up psychedelics. Um, I do believe that psychedelics can be abused, um, but they're also can be an incredible medicine to help us through depression. I was incredibly depressed um, at the time when I first did mushrooms, magic mushrooms. And throughout that night, I felt like I was in a fight with God. At the end of the night, I'm looking in the mirror more suicidal than I'd ever been in my life. And I had heard about something called DMT a couple years prior. And at the time, I wasn't depressed. And I was like, no, thanks. They said it's the molecule that releases when you die. And um, yeah, in my, my scientific brain, it was like, there's no way you can know that. That's impossible. And second of all, no thanks. But fast forward a couple years later, and I'm really depressed, pissed off at God. I'm like, I will try anything, like whatever, give it to me. And um, when I came back from that, you know, I had that realization, okay, my dad has to be him for me to be me. And one of the, you know, really grasping that was really grasping the fact that everything is absolutely divinely perfect um and this is my opinion i don't want i don't i don't think like trying to impose an opinion and tell anyone that hey this is what you should believe this is just my personal experience on what i've came to and another big aha is that this little life in the big picture is so minuscule like this is such a little blip in human history my life is you know we all are in these lives like yolo you know you only live you only live once you know you gotta so that yolo can be a very toxic thought process because then it's like okay well i only got this one life i need to make sure that i prove that i am you know i was a good person that i was this and that and that well realizing that okay that's not really what it's about this is we're we're here to help each other we're here to ease the suffering well the way for us to really ease the suffering is to help people feel less alone and i anything that you have that you have shame or guilt about or you think that's embarrassing or nobody's going to understand no doubt there is someone else with a very, very similar experience out there. So I didn't know how many people and, you know, my book, women have also commented that it's, it's helped them better understand some of the more the masculine side of things and the perpetrator side. And, you know, of course my, my story is not going to be like every perpetrator, you know, there are more extremes and, you know, my story's, you know, not on that extreme side, but it's still, I definitely, in whatever you want to say, I, you can say I raped my girlfriend when I was 16. Mm -hmm. And, um, I know that I'm not alone. I know that there, there are other guys that accidentally slipped in when it wasn't really an accident. Mm -hmm. And just that small bit of crossing that boundary, that's a form of rape. Like if, and you know, we, we put those things that you know, that's not a big deal or, you know, whatever. And she said, you know, whatever it might be, but the less we're respecting the each other's genitalia, and that's the male and the female, 
both need to be respected in a very high regard because if we aren't and if we really aren't working on this consent language and preparing younger generations for these real conversations that will happen because I, I believe that one of the reasons that we're in this sort of scenario is because we aren't able to communicate about these difficult things like like slipping in and saying that it's an accident like I don't know anybody that talks about these kind of things but that I mean you're that's a big deal it might may not feel like it was a big deal then but that will repeat itself whether in this lifetime or the next and you know if you're a guy you're gonna have a if you have a daughter one day you know would that be something that you would be okay with another guy a guy doing to your daughter um so i i hope i I, don't, I might have diverted a little bit from from the original question, but um, I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> right. um, but but you know, I mean, I'm certainly wondering. You know, if you're, uh, I think you're open to talking about this. I would guess, but I mean, I'm curious, and maybe some other members of the audience are curious as well. Was part of did part of your healing process also involve? talking with the girl, your girlfriend at the time, like, did you guys ever get a chance to, I mean, did you get a chance to make amends or whatever we want to call it and, and have a conversation with her about everything now that you're in a different space with it? Right. So when we were 16, you know, we had been together for a year and we were in love and it was something that happened quick. And later that night, the only way that I could feel better about what had happened was for us to have consensual sex. You know, like if, if she said that, you know, she was at a, the way that she wrapped her mind around it was like, well, I didn't get off. So I didn't have sex. Well, if she didn't have sex, but I did have sex, what did that mean about me? It's like, I, I couldn't handle thinking of myself as I raped my girlfriend. Like I wasn't ready to accept that truth. So I was like, well, the only way we can make it better is to let, let's, let's do this. Let's just have consensual sex later and we did and we continued that sex and then um we broke up because i went to college my brother told me not to bring a girlfriend to college i took his advice and her life spiraled out of control um she was raised church of christ which i'm not sure how familiar with that you are but it's an it's a very very strict form of christianity and if you have premarital sex, you're going to hell. I mean, it's it's very, very strict. So there was a lot of shame and guilt and not understanding from her side. And years down the road, you know, I felt responsible for her ending up in a very terrible situation. You know, she was going through postpartum depression for the second time. She was she had had her head slammed on tile floor, like all sorts of really terrible stories that I was hearing and I felt responsible for it. Um, I'm not too sure if you want me to get into to the action or, or what led me to the ultimate truth about my dad, but I will get into, she was the first person that I shared the rough draft of my book with. Mm -hmm. um, I told her I was writing this story. No one knew about the first time that we had sex other than her and I. Mm -hmm. I never told anyone. She never told anyone. And I was, I mean, I felt very certain that she wasn't ever going to tell anyone that. And she said that you know, she didn't feel like she was raped. She said that I could have stopped you. Um, but the first time she said stop, I should have stopped right then and not tried to convince her otherwise or, you know, because when we're in love, we want to please the other person and that can be a very confusing situation, but anytime you're trying to convince anyone of anything sexual that you're treading on very, very tough and tricky waters because it shouldn't be anything that should need to be convinced. It should either be a heck yes, or if it's not a hundred percent, definitely, then it's a no. And the more we can teach that and really try to put that more in society, the healthier our relationships are going to be with each other. And that 
goes on the male and female perspective side because I don't want to leave out, you know, homosexuals in this conversation as well because everybody has some sort of crossing boundaries at one point or another in our lives with people that we love. Um, so, yeah, again, it, it's very, very tricky conversations, but the more open and honest we can be and the more we can really help the future generations have these conversations, the better. Because I believe that our parents, for the most part, this is not everyone's experience, try to, hey, I'm perfect. Be like me. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to show you any of my mistakes. I'm not going to talk about any of the things that I did wrong. Because, hey, here's how you should be. And I'm just going to put on my suit. and I'm perfect. Be perfect like me. And that creates a lot of misunderstanding and guilt and shame and just not authentic, the opposite of authenticity. Yeah. How did, um, how did your former girlfriend respond when she read your book? <laughs> she was like, I kind of like this Carmen chick. <laughs> so Carmen is her name in the book. Um, she, the first thing, one of the first things she said, she was like, it's a lot better than I thought it could be. You know, she was, she was kind of blown away, um, at how brutally vulnerable I could actually be. And it, you know, even though she was with me for three and a half years, she had no idea what the real, my childhood and things that happened that led up to me becoming who I was at that point. Um, so it's very eye-opening. It was eye-opening for her. Um, but it, I believe, definitely opened up some healing for her as well. Because um, if you act like it didn't happen, you're only doing a disservice to yourself and to the future generations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we now know, I mean, one of my specialties that I work with is trauma we know that trauma gets passed down generation to generation. I suspect there was some amount of that in your family probably as well, some intergenerational kinds of trauma that led to some of the things you experienced and 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 um in firsthand, right? But um we if we don't address and it passes through our DNA, it's epigenetics, there's a whole field of research going on around it right now. Um I think the the such an important message that I really want to stress here is the secrets will, they, they don't go away just because you don't want to talk about them. Doesn't mean they don't go away. It, they will go away or that it won't impact you. If I pretend like it didn't happen, right? Like then like somehow that's going to magically uh, change things. It won't. The healing happens in exactly what you've been talking about. The healing happens in facing the shadow Um you know, finding safety, finding safe places and people to, to be vulnerable with, to be authentic with, to explore what it was that happened, how it impacted you. And instead of staying, like you said, in the judgments and the shame and the guilt, actually looking at, okay, what could I learn from this? And how can I turn this, what could be considered a painful or traumatic experience into something that actually helps others or helps me or creates more consciousness and, and positivity in the world. Most people can't see how a trauma could become that, but that's what post-traumatic growth is. And, and I think what you're illustrating to us is the possibility of post-traumatic growth, not just for uh, the victim of a, of a traumatic experience. Definitely. Uh, we all need it. And that shame and guilt is on both sides, typically. Um, it's amazing that, you know, we all want love we all just want acceptance and that we're all think that i can't tell people these things i can't be vulnerable i can't tell them this story because they're not going to love me when it's the exact opposite um and it's not like you just want to go out there and just brag about like yeah yeah i did this i did and this if it's that easy for you to talk about those aren't the things that we're talking about if it's something that you can tell a friend and do it lightheartedly and like feel like yeah this blah 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 you're not truly confronting what's underneath it 
there's something underneath it that is trying to be protected that thinks that okay i really can't get to the root of it i can't i can't tell them the reason behind what happened or my thought process behind when i did this um so there's some really embarrassing story and so this is gonna kind of sound it hopefully it, it makes a little bit of sense but um i carry hpv um and i got that when i was in college and that was something that i was i thought my life was over um you get general towards and you start freaking out like oh my god i cannot tell anyone like my life's over and I even tried to use my HPV as a way to save a relationship one time. Um, you know, she, I opened up to her about this was, you know, I was, I smoked weed and then she was like, she didn't want to be with a pothead. And I was like, well, okay, maybe if she thinks that I gave her HPV, that she'll give us another chance because, you know, I got to be with him. So like these really weird things that we do a lot of it comes from love, like romance and sex. That's where things in this human experience get really, really tricky and confusing. And when we have something and then we lose it, we're like, oh my God, I'll do anything to figure out a way to get that back. And that's when we'll lie, we'll make up stories. All these, just, it can be really messed up stuff. And the reason why I brought up that story is because that's just one of the ones that you're like, what? <laughs> that's a, it's a pretty weird thing. But again, I I'm sharing my stories with the world and I'm living proof that you can say some of the things that you think no one will understand that like, they will never get that. Like that's too weird. It's too messed up. That was too whatever. I'm living proof that, done in a healthy way if you set the stage and it's all okay you know we're all just trying to we all want love we're all doing our best and the more empathy you can have for yourself and the more forgiveness you can have for yourself the more empathy and forgiveness you're going to have for every single person you come in contact with yep. and that's why people feel so comfortable around me is because I have a lot of self-love and self-forgiveness and self-empathy. So I naturally have those for the people that come into my life. Well, and I think hand in hand with the whole thing of what you mentioned about love and sex and relationships is fear, right? The fear yeah. that you're going to lose that. And, and when you're being vulnerable, when you're being authentic, it actually tends to make the fear go away, which is again, sort of paradoxical, but but I've seen it time and time again. I've lived it myself. And clearly, you know, you have as well. It's like the antidote to all that we fear is actually to be our genuine, authentic selves. And I think this message is just so critical right now in the times that we're living in. So I'm so grateful that you've been willing to have this very open and vulnerable conversation with me. Um, if people want to find out more about you, about your book, where can they go? Amazon. So um, I should have brought out an actual book to show you, um, but I, it's inside and I don't want to walk away from the computer to leave you alone for a second, but I will pull up a quick picture on my phone just so you can see the, the cover of the book. Um, but the Audible, since most people that are listening to the podcast enjoy listening to people talk, and um, if you enjoy the sound of my voice, my Audible book should be out by the end of this next week. So I'm not sure how long this will take before it actually airs. So maybe by the time this airs, you can look up on Amazon. But if you type in Who Am I? That's the cover of my book. Vulnerability equals power ability. Um, if you would like to read the first chapter for free, you can go to vulnerabilitybook.com. And you can read the first chapter and there will be a link there to go to the Amazon and buy the book. But if you just want to go straight to Amazon, um, the audible will be out. There's a sample you can listen to. You can listen to the first, just the forward and see if you like what I'm talking about. 
And if you enjoy this conversation, I think that you'll appreciate the level of vulnerability that I really get in it. And there are self-reflection questions at the end of each chapter. So it's, it's interactive. So not only am I going to tell you my story, but I'm going to ask you to reflect on your life. And it's not going to be the easiest thing to do. Now, my book is a very easy read. I don't use big words. I don't, I'm not very descriptive. My book is straight to the point. Um, it, a lot of people will read my book in a couple days. It's 367 pages long. It's not a short book, but people will fly through it. It's very direct to the point and as honest as I could possibly be. The reason why I'm put on earth, the reason why I'm here with y'all today is to help people embrace more vulnerability and really face those shadows, just like what you're trying to help people do. Really try to embrace looking at the dark so we can heal and raise a better future generation. But find me on Amazon, Who Am I by Nicholas Jordan Moore. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for having me, Adriana. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your courage and for being an inspiration, um, inviting people to a different possibility. It's what we need right now on planet Earth. So I'm super grateful, super grateful to all of you in the audience who have tuned in. If you've liked this episode, this podcast, please do share it, um, comment, like it, rate it, wherever, whatever platform you're on so that we can get this out there all this information out there in the hands of more people um, because people are searching and seeking and struggling. And um, my hope is yes, to get other messages out in the world and to let people know that um, they don't have to stay in their suffering. There are ways, many, many ways out of it. Um, and Nick is a true uh, uh, inspiration for that. So again, thanks so much. Thanks everyone. And we'll see you next time. Love y'all. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.